Good afternoon, everyone. I hope everybody's doing well today. Last Wednesday night, we took a look at 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 22. Again, that was March 6th, and we took a look at 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 22 um, in our midweek adult class. So if you'd like to take some time to read that, uh, just press pause for a second. We'll, we'll give you a little bit of time to get that done. Okay, um, hopefully you took the time to read that passage. Um, keep in mind that passage is still in context of, of what we've been dealing with for quite some time. Paul is in, the, in his letter in the mode now of answering questions from the church in Corinth. And one of those questions had to do with meat sacrifice to idols. And up to this point in time, Paul's teaching about meat sacrifice to idols is this. That, that, that meat is just food. Um, it, it can do nothing to contaminate you, to make you unholy. Um, you eat it, it goes in your stomach, it's eliminated, uh, and, and that's it, and it's over and done with. And to this point, he let people know that um, it is the weaker uh, brother in Christ, meaning the more immature, the younger um, brother or sister in Christ who doesn't see things that way. We have the freedom to eat what we want and not be worried about it. Now, as you just read that passage in 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 22, as we're getting toward the end of this question, that, or Paul's answer to this question, meat sacrifice to idols, you might say, whoa, 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 wait a second. What's the difference here? Because it seems that, that Paul is changing it up here a little bit and saying, don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. When he is not contradicting himself, that is not what he's saying. Um, he's making a different point. Um, and in the midst of this point, he brings up uh, communion. We call it, uh, that, I mean, that's what we call it. It's, it's got a, a number of different, uh, maybe more kind of churchy names, if you will. Um, we also call it the table of the Lord or the Lord's table. And just so that we have um, a good understanding of what we're referring to uh, in communion, um, we're going to look at one of the passages of scripture from the Gospels that basically just details Jesus instituting uh, what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. Um, kind of a fancy name for it is the Eucharist. Um, but most of the time we, we, just, we just give it the, the label of communion. So I'm going to be reading from, from Luke chapter 22 verses 14 through 20. So we just have this fresh in our minds. And this is what it says. When the hour had come, Jesus reclined at the table and his apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken, when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And then he had taken some bread and given thanks. He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the blood in my covenant. Now, 
it's it is is the new covenant in my blood i should say i kind of switch switch flip those things around okay now one thing that might be a little confusing about that is is this it's, it, it seems to mention two cups and you might say well, well why did he take a cup before the bread and then a cup after the bread well actually in the passover meal there were four cups um, that were shared and so so that that wouldn't be unusual at all and uh, regardless of of seeing it in that way the 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 cup the fruit of the vine um, the the wine what it represented was uh, the blood of Jesus Christ it I, probably better than represented is this it is a reminder of the blood of Jesus Christ because that's the way that Jesus put it he said do this in remembrance of me now obviously the early church much like we still do today um, took part in communion the first day of the week. Um, and Paul will bring this up here in chapter 10. Now he'll just kind of open the subject of communion and then later on in in his in his answering of questions, he will get more specific about what communion um, is all about for us as believers. So now he brings it up for a different reason though here. Um, keep in mind that that the the early church they did communion a little bit different way than we would. And what I mean by that, many times when they came together as, as an assembly, as a body, they would share a meal together. And the meal wasn't just communion. They would actually share a meal. And um, so communion was a part of that. And he'll, like I said, we'll get into more detail of that when we open the subject back up here in another chapter. Uh, so, so just being aware of that, they would see communion where we see it as more of just a very, very um, small, simple. Now, I, I, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about insignificant. It is very significant, but a small thing that we do. I, I don't think there would be anybody on a Sunday morning who takes a little bit of juice and a small little cracker and say that this is a meal all right um, they did things a little bit differently then so what he is bringing up here is a kind of a comparison contrast between the Lord's Supper and eating meat sacrificed to idols in a particular context not in somebody's home not eating meat sacrificed to idols that's been purchased at the market um, this is going to the temple of a false god and eating a meal there and that was much different than just taking up meat sacrificed to idols and eating it okay so what he says to us there's a word that he uses he uses it in verse 16 and in describing what takes place in communion he uses it again okay in later a little bit later on in a few verses later he uses it again uh specifically in uh, verse 20, he uses the word again, and the word is this, to share in something. Now, that word represents a very important word in the Greek, and the Greek is koinonia. And what it means is to have fellowship with one, to come together with someone, to enjoy one another's company, um, to share in a meal together many, many times. And a matter of fact, we call them, uh, maybe we don't say this quite as much anymore, but a fellowship meal, um, that's based in this Greek word of koinonia. And what he says, when we share in communion, we are sharing with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is something that connects us to Jesus, and it also connects us to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now then, in the comparison contrast in verse 20, he says this. He says, I tell you, 
The things which Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to become sharers in demons. Now, something we need to understand here is, is this. Those idols in those temples were gods that did not exist. But there was a spiritual darkness behind that that very much is in existence. Um, in the spiritual world, you have what is good, what is of God, and then you have what is evil, what is of Satan and his fellow demons. And there is power there. And what he wants to make sure that people know that if they go to one of these temples, and another thing about this, this temple, <laughs> it wasn't just going to the temple to feast. That was usually followed by acts of immorality that would come in the form of sexual immorality with temple prostitutes. So what we're seeing is, is this. You have this combination take place. If you have these young Christians, these new Christians, I would hope that a more mature, longer-lived Christian would never even think about going in that day and time to a temple to take part in what takes place there. But you have these two things taking place. You have demons involved in what is taking place in those idolatrous temples. And maybe not specific demons that are named Aphrodite or, or perhaps any other type of, of false Greek or Greco-Roman god. But there are very, very much there were impersonal demonic forces capable of exerting powerful influence over the people within that temple, most specifically non-believers. Um, non-believers, because they do not have the Holy Spirit, are very susceptible to the influence of the dark forces, spiritual forces within this world. So you have that taking place. And beyond that, Paul also knew that the quote-unquote festivities generated by the atmosphere of enthusiasm um, of, of, um, of wickedness that would take place in these temple acts and these places of temple, that it could very much carry away the participants. And the result of all of this is a recipe for disaster. And what I mean by that, in, in that the people could get carried away, Paul brings this up when he's having these young Christians remember their past before they came to Jesus. Chapter 12, verse 2 says this. He says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. So all of this is very much a recipe for disaster. And, and Paul just lines it out like this. He said, you cannot be one who drinks of the cup of the Lord and also drinks of the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. And then he follows it with very, very strong warning. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? It would be madness to, de to deliberately provoke the wrath of God. So, all of this wraps up in this way. Paul, as he's beginning to close down this, this answering of this meat sacrifice to idols question, he wants them to know they do have the freedom to eat this meat. We'll talk about that more as we wrap up um, chapter 10 next week. Or, actually, it's just tomorrow night now. Um, but before he gets into that, he wants them to know that, that 
eating meat sacrificed to my idols does not mean that we also have, that they also as Christians had the freedom to go to these temples and participate in the worship of idols. That that was dangerous and it was very counterproductive to their life in Christ. Now, today this might sound a little foreign to us, but idolatry still exists today. I don't know anybody who who goes to, who has even probably the option of going to a temple in in Coffeyville or Independence or Caney um, or even... I wouldn't even think even Tulsa or someplace even bigger where you can go to the temple of Aphrodite or or the temple of Zeus or whoever, whatever name you want to be in there. But idolatry still can be a part of our lives if we're not very careful. Idolatry is simply this, putting something else um, that does not belong there in God's place, elevating something above God. Some people worship their family. Some people worship their children. Some people worship their jobs or their hobbies. That all is a form of idolatry and something that we need to be very much aware of. So that's what we looked at last week. Um, Again, that was um, March 6th. Tomorrow, uh, we'll be meeting on March 9th, um, tomorrow evening. Uh, We'll have class right in the sanctuary at 7 o'clock. We would love to have you. If you haven't joined us before, um, that's okay. You should be caught up because obviously if you're listening, you've probably listened to these summaries of the class setting. So if you haven't been there yet, don't don't let that keep you from coming. Um, We'll have a meal before that at 6 o'clock. And there will be classes for all ages if you want to bring the kiddos or anybody else. We would absolutely love to have you. And tomorrow night, if you want to come and get a get a, a preview of what we'll be looking at, we'll be looking at chapter 10, verses 23 through chapter 11, verse 1. And it's going to be a, a, a good study, I believe. So hope to see you tomorrow evening. Thanks for checking in with us today.